Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Before I uh, get into the message tonight, um, I've been just for months um, praying and battling with things, and a couple times I've, I've kind of stopped and remind us, reminded us of some things, and, and I just want to do that again tonight, um, and that's this. Uh, before we even started with the theme one, uh, this idea of unity in the body, uh, we began to see unity in the body attacked. Um, I mean, we, we, we started seeing it even before we went into uh, our P3 leadership conference last year um, in October. And as the year came to an end in 2017, it was like increasing. There were more attacks and more uh, battles and more things that people were facing that were like, it, it felt like the enemy was trying to do everything he could, could do to keep us from being a unified body. And this year in 2018, now we're, you know, we're in the sixth month, um, and it feels like there have been five full months of nothing but attack after attack, struggle after struggle, difficulty after difficulty, and it feels like the enemy is battling just tooth and nail, like he's trying everything he can to keep us from being unified. Everywhere from the leadership to, to the newest members, I mean, it feels like it's been just a nonstop thing. And I just want to remind you that the prayer that Jesus prayed before he was crucified, before he rose again, in John chapter 17, was that we as his people would be one as he and the Father were one, which is an absolute unity, a unity in the Spirit that's only given through uh, Jesus Christ. And so the reason why that's the, the case is because as a unified body, we can be everything that he has designed and called us to be. But without being a unified body, we can't. So what are we doing then? If we're not a unified body on this earth, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. That's how I feel. I feel like that if we're not unified and we're not being everything God has, God has called us to be, then we're missing the mark. So if that's the case, then the enemy is going to try to do everything he can do to keep us spinning our wheels and not ever getting traction, not ever being unified, and ever being what God has called us to be as a body. And so I want to remind you of that and encourage you with that. When you go through things and when you go through difficult times, when you go through struggles, when you, when you battle sickness, when whatever comes about and comes your way, just remember the enemy is trying to do everything he can do to keep you from staying unified with the body that you're in, period. And uh, that happens on an individual level, it happens on a family level, and of course it happens on a corporate level. And so if we remember that, the only way for us to battle that is something very clear that is, is in Scripture. And it says this, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Our only hope is to draw near to the Lord, draw near to what he's given us, draw near to the resource, which is the, the, the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, the Word of God, all those things are given to us by that. And so uh, I want to I remind you of that. I want to remind you of that. I want to also remind you of this when you're going through the struggle. Because uh, whether it's a, a broken relationship or, or, or whatever, 
Just remember this. I've said this many, many times. It's always easiest to remember the bad things. It's always easiest to remember the negative. Right? Because God can answer your prayers. God can bless you. God can do wonderful things in your life. He can bless you. You've got, you've got money. You've got health. You've got all these things are going joyful in your life. And, and, and you're on the mountaintop and you're praising God. And one negative thing can happen. And you can so easily forget all the things that God has done for you in that one moment. And now everything's miserable. And just remember, it's a season. If you're going through a difficult time, if you're going through something, this is not the end. I love that song we just sang, you know, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. And at the end of it says, I have a future. That, that's, the th that's the reality is it's just a temporal time. If you're in a negative spot, if you're facing brokenness, facing difficulty, know this. It's a season. And in those difficult times, remember, if you say, I'm sad, that's a normal reaction. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. That's a normal reaction. But you can have joy, just as James said. Even in the midst of all the diverse attacks and trials. Because your joy comes from the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And so when we remember that, that our source of joy comes from God, we stay drawing nigh to Him, stay faithful in Him, faithful to connect, then we can have joy even in the midst of the worst trials and most difficult times. Doesn't mean that we're going to be happy. Oh, I love, I love my broken relationship. I love my broken heart. I love my, my empty bank account. I, you know, all these things, I mean, doesn't mean that. We can have joy even in, in the middle of all that. With all that being said, I, I said this Sunday, and I want to remind you again, some of you maybe, not, weren't, maybe weren't in here, um, but we talk about in our church, we talk about it from the new members class, and we talk about it, it's, we preach about it because it's in the Word of God. We, we have this... Um, this, this charge, this expectation, and even in the leadership, we look among the leadership to be the examples in faithfulness in all things. Um, we talk about faithfulness to the assembly of the saints. And, and I said Sunday that it's not a legalistic check mark. Why we encourage leaders, why, we, why, why it's important for leaders to be faithful to every service and be engaged in the vision of the church, why it's important for the body as a whole to be faithful and in, 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 to the assembly and engaged in the vision of the church. Why is that is so important? Why is that essential? Goes back to what I said in the very beginning. There's no way that unity is ever going to happen unless we are faithfully connecting to the Lord and to the body that has placed us in. So my heart has always been like we're never going to get there. We're never going to get that traction. We're never going to get that unless we have that absolute connectivity, that absolute commitment to the Lord and His things. And so that's why it's so important for us to, to connect whenever we can connect, right? I just said that recently as well. We have, we have so many things pouring into, into our life, right? We turn on the radio, and if it's not the things of God, then you got worldly and, 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 and things pouring into you. If, you, if you, you watch TV, there's worldly things pouring into you. If you watch movies, there's worldly, unless they're Christian stuff, it's, it's, it's worldly stuff pouring into you. You got your job, you got, worldly, you got things of the world. And when I say worldly, I'm not necessarily talking about sinful, but you have the things of the world a lot pouring into our lives. And so the two, three, four hours a week that we gather as a body to be reminded in the things of God and be connected together are just but a, a fraction of all of the other time that the world gets to pour into our lives. And so again, I, I, I've just felt compelled to remind us on a Wednesday night, with those of you who are on a Wednesday night service, 
um, the importance of unity. To remember, the enemy's attacking is going to continue to attack unity. And that's why it's important to draw nigh to the Lord, draw nigh to each other, stay connected to the things of God, um, because the enemy's relentless. He thinks he's going to win, and he thinks he can win. That's why he's not going to stop. If that's the case, who are we to face him without the help of God? We're nothing. We're nothing in the face of the enemy. So, again, just a reminder of that, a uh, little pre-message before the message. There you go. So, uh, you can turn your Bibles, if you want to, over to Second Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to be moving forward into this uh, study, and chapter 3 is where we're going to pick up. But um, in the last message that uh, a couple weeks ago that we, we left off with this, we saw two important points. The first thing is this, similar to what I just mentioned about the enemy attacking. Uh, we saw that we too, as well as the Thessalonian believers, should stay alert and stay seeking. Um, again, we have to stay close to the Lord, stay close to His Word, stay close to each other. Uh, again, never in a legalistic way, never in a checkbox, I'm doing this. It's because it's our only hope and only help in this life. Uh, many of us have walked down the road, and I'm a testament right here, uh, to try to do it in our own strength. And I will say, I'll be the first one to say, when you try to do it in your own strength, battle the enemy in your own strength, he will, walk, he will kick your tail every single time. There's none of us in this room that have the ability to withstand him in our own strength. And so... We have to stay alert and we have to stay seeking the Lord and His Word and stay close together. Uh, we have to be sober and vigilant. The second thing was this, is that we need to stand firm. We have to stand firm in the truth and stand firm in the faith. Uh, there's so many deceptions around us. There's so many false doctrines. There's so many, uh, even inside of the church, I was meeting with a, with a young man today and I was reminding him of, of the, um, uh, just kind of the course of the church uh, that we've seen over the last maybe 50 or 60 years and, and how it's gone, and, and the way it went, and, and so I, I've shared this before, uh, in, the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, there was this real major uptick and charge of, of independent Baptist movement, uh, there was also a charismatic movement being birthed and, 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 and flourishing at that point in time as well, there was always a main, mainstream denomination uh, presence, of course, with, with, you know, Catholics and Methodists and stuff like that, uh, but there was a really a charge, and there were people knocking on people's doors, and people being one at the doors, and people, I mean, it was, it was really a movement going on, uh, even going into the 80s, and that's why in the 80s, there were so many churches that were birthed. Trinity Baptist Temple is one of those churches that was birthed, and quickly, it, it, it grew. This church grew. Many other churches grew because of what was going on in those decades preceding it, this fervor, this, 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 uh, this, this passion. And uh, what ended up happening is in the 90s, because of this, there became a lull. And I, and I shared that there were several other factors that happened um, that I, I believe brought about a lull. Uh, one of the things was this. There was a resurgence in some of, uh, of the major sports, uh, right? What, what, what was going on in the 90s, even here in our area? The Dallas Cowboys were winning Super Bowls. Um, there were uh, the Texas Rangers actually were doing some stuff and, and, and winning stuff. Uh, the Mavericks. Uh, we're still bad. No, I'm, but uh, um, no, there was, there was this upsurge. I mean, Michael Jordan, and, and there was a lot of resurgence, a lot of distraction, a lot of things going on. And the church, because it had seen this growth and ex expansion, I'm not just talking about Trinity Baptist Temple, but I'm also including our church in this, um, kind of got to a place where we're like, man, this is great. You know, kind of a complacent, comfortable place that, that, that brought us up to the 2000 era. And in the 2000 era, that's right around the time that I had surrendered to ministry, um, I, I came in there and, and I was hearing all of this new stuff 
Uh, it, was, it was coming out in books. It was, it, it was, it was just everywhere. And it was uh, one of the main things that came out was this thing called the purpose-driven life. And the, uh, I think there's great points in that. I think there's good, good things to take for that. But the, 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 the push that was behind that, as well as the push that was in a place called the Crystal Cathedral, uh, was what is it going to take? Because now in the 90s, we've seen this comfortable, complacent uh, and, and also this distraction with all this other stuff coming on board, technology really starting to surge, all this stuff coming on, the church attendance, people connecting to the vision and, and, and the eternal purpose of God, began to, to really wane. It started to, to be affected. People kind of stopped going to church like they used to in the 70s and 80s. And so in the 2000s, these people coming on, non-denom, started really popping up where, where before it was like, what is non-denom? Non-denominational churches started popping up, community churches, Bible churches, all these churches started popping up and, and really starting to come in, in, into prevalence. And, and the reason why is because this church growth movement, also deemed this term, seeker-friendly movement, um, came on the scene and people started doing this. What is it going to take to get people back in church? So they started sending out surveys, hey, what, what would it do for you to come to our church? That's honestly what happened in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so people started designing church to suit the lost community around them. And so the lost community around them said, hey, this church is doing this, this, and this. That is so cool. Let's go see what this is all about. And so lost people started full and flooding churches, which in, 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 in the way it sounds is amazing, like flooding. But what happened is that those, those organizations began to cater to those lost people, and they designed their church for those lost people, not in full effort to win those lost people that were coming, but to keep those lost people there, keep them entertained, keep them happy, all, all those things. And so that has, that has been going for about 20 years now almost. And that's where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves once again in this, this place in the church to where uh, it's an absolute mess. And that's why you hear me preaching a lot of times about um, you know, we, we have to fight this, this, this tendency to, to want to be comfortable, to be the comfortable church, the complacent church, and stuff like that. Um, because that's where we're at. You know, we're at this place now that uh, it's just not, a, it's not that important uh, to be connected to the eternal purpose of God in the church and through the church. Uh, why? Because much like in the 90s, man, as long as we're comfortable and as long as we've got, just as Brother Mike preached the other night, our amusement and entertainment, and as long as we kind of do that, and again, it, hey, it's good to have things that you enjoy doing. It's good to, to have fun, but, but here's the thing. The people who are calling themselves Christians and claiming to be in the kingdom of God are, are sacrificing the things of God to do those things. And that's where we find ourselves today. And we've been doing that for decades. And so um, you have all of this all, of this all around us. When, when our main focus as Christians and the people of God is supposed to be the things of God, the kingdom of God, we're so full with so many other things that we can't focus on that. We can't, we can't be committed to that wholeheartedly. Um, again, Satan is very, very, very crafty. He knows how to do it. And so if the church, even our church, can just continue to spin their wheels, then there's not a whole lot of traction. There's not a whole lot of movement even like that was going on in the, in the early church days in the book of Acts because of some of the things we've talked about. Many deceptions all around us, uh, and more and more come every single day. But we have to remember, again, as Paul had told the Thessalonians, there's no hope 
aside from the power of God in us. There's no, no hope. We have no hope at all without God's help. And again, the power of his word in us. And so this evening, we're going to look at, and I don't know if we'll get through all of this, but uh, hopefully we'll see these two points. Did everybody get notes? Notes? No? Some? Okay. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us uh, to be here again. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the church, God. Thank you for everything that you've given to us because there's not a person in here that can, there's not a person on this earth that can stand against the wiles of the devil by themselves. There's no way that we can stand against his schemes. There's no way that we can stand against the darts and the attacks. There's no way we can, we can face the deceptions that he throws at us on our own. And so we're so thankful that you give us everything we need to be able to make it through those things, to be able to make it through the difficult times, the trials. But we're so thankful that our joy comes from you and not circumstances. Um, Lord, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the future that you have given us that we know one day um, there's going to be those mansions sublime just as we talked about. Lord, you tell us in your word that you, you've gone to prepare a place for us. And uh, we're looking forward to that day. Uh, and until that day, I pray that we would labor uh, to bring glory to your name. Lord, that we'd be committed to your cause above everything else. Um, and that we would see the, the great um, opportunity that we have in your grace. None of us deserve it, uh, but the great opportunity in your grace to serve you uh, for your glory. And so, Lord, tonight we pray that you move. Uh, just speak through me. Lord, I pray that you'll be glorified even tonight in this. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says this in verse 1, Finally, brethren, so Paul's wrapping up his charge to these believers. Remember, they're facing tribulation. They're, they're being persecuted. Uh, but their faith has, has just continued to shine through all of this. And Paul's already commended them for that. He's already told them, man, you, all, you guys are a great example in all of, of the region around you. Your faith goes out. People hear about it. Great job. Your love for each other is increasing. Your love for the Lord is increasing. And, and keep that up. Paul's already committed for all these things, and now again, he's kind of wrapping this up, and he says, finally, this is what we want you to do. This is what we need from you. Look what he says. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And we've done studies through other letters of Paul where he's written to the other, other churches, and he, his request for them to pray for him and his missionary team is not something new. This is something that Paul realized. I've got to have the support. I've got to have the prayer of the saints of God. I, I can't do this by myself. Paul, Paul had, had explained that he was already the chiefest of sinners. He was, he was the least among the apostles. You know, we talked about that again today as well. And, um, and so the, the, the fact that God would use the chiefest of sinners and the least of the apostles to do what we know as the greatest work in the New Testament, write the majority of the New Testament, start all the main churches in, in, in the New Testament era is a great, a great reality to this. And God can use anybody and anyone if they just yield themselves to him. But Paul has said, look, we need you to pray for us. Pray for, for, pray for the, the word of God to go out. And again, this is a good request to have. It's one that I've asked you guys to do for me. It's, it's one I ask that you do for our teachers every prayer, uh, prayer meeting uh, on Sunday nights. I say, hey, pray for our teachers. Pray for those in leadership. But again, Paul's request is that they would pray that the preaching and the teaching of God's word through Paul and through his team would speed ahead. That's what have, 
have, have its full course. That it would speed ahead, that it would, and it would be glorified, and it would be honored. In other words, Paul was saying, I need you guys to pray for us so that when we do preach and when we teach, that the Word of God would, would speed ahead of us, and it would work in people's hearts, and it would per, work in regions, and, and, and people would, would respond to that. And then as we preach and as we teach, that Word of God would be held in high esteem. That in people's minds and in their hearts and in their lives, their whole perspective, they would esteem God's word as they hear it. And then Paul made it real to them. I want you to pray that this is what the word of God does just as it's done to you or just as you do to the word of God. Look what it, as he says, just as it is with you. Again, the obvious situation, the obvious thing is this. They were a little on edge about the times. They thought that Jesus uh, had already come. We already talked about all of that. And Paul has said, you know what? Calm down. Stay steadfast. Keep, keep, keep working for the Lord. Keep striving for the truth. They heeded his words. They took his counsel. They esteemed God's word. They held it in high esteem. And so in this one verse in chapter 3, we see two important, important points I believe that we need to look at tonight. And it's this. The first thing in your notes is this, that daily you need to pray for your pastor, for the leaders of this church, and the teachers that are in this church. So that just as Paul asked those Thessalonians believers to pray for them, that the word of God would have free course. That it would speed ahead of me, that it would speed ahead of any preacher that stands in this pulpit. Uh, it would speed ahead of any teacher that teaches in a Sunday school class, that teaches in an institute class, that even teaches in our academy classes, that the Word of God would go ahead of us and do the work. Isn't that interesting that he, he asked them to pray for that? I want you guys to pray that God's Word goes through us and goes ahead of us and does this work. I think the natural tendency... I think, I mean, if I was reading a letter from the Apostle Paul, again, hindsight is a little different, right? Because they're reading it in real time. But no, no doubt, he, they, they had looked at him as the spiritual father. He had, he had taught them and, and, and brought them along and brought the gospel to them and, and all these things. And, and so maybe they had a little bit of that in, in, in their hearts as well. But I'm thinking if I'm there, knowing what I know now, going back, I'm thinking, does the Apostle Paul really need my prayers? <laughs> I mean, that's how I see myself. I'm, I'm thinking the Apostle Paul, this great instrument of God, this great, this great warrior for the kingdom of God, why do I need to pray for him? I would ask the Apostle Paul to pray for me, right? I think that's the, the natural tendency of, of many people. I think some people may think that even in our church. Well, the pastor's praying, should be. The teachers, they're praying, they should be. They're preaching, they're the ones preaching and teaching. They don't need the prayer. I need the prayer. I'm the one going through this. I'm the one going through that. Listen, it's not just a regular job, and I'm not, I'm not esteeming what, what I do or, or uh, what teachers do or, or anything like that more than anybody else. But I will say this, to preach the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, is a divine charge. It's a charge that God gives to those that he puts in those places of responsibility. 
And so it is something that God says, I want you to do this, and I want you to do it right. And so it's a divine charge, but it's also a spiritual battle. Because think about this. If what I said in the very beginning is, is true, that we're all facing these attacks of the enemy, and the enemy is trying everything he can do to keep a 300-member church from being unified and together in the purpose of God, then every time that a, a preacher gets up here to preach the Word of God, just as we've seen recently, to remind us of stuff, to keep us unified in stuff, to keep us on the same page together, then know this, the enemy is battling every way, every time that I stand up here, every time that Brother Jeffrey stands up here, Brother Mike, Brother Turner, Brother Clay, anybody stands up here or, or anybody teaches, there's a spiritual battle going on. And it may not also, always be with me, but a lot of times it has to do with the hearers. That's why Paul said, hey, I want you to pray for us that when we speak, the word of God goes ahead of us and has free course. It speeds ahead of us. Every time it's a spiritual battle. Every time it's a high responsibility. I've shared this before. I, I, I don't feel qualified to be here. I don't, I don't, I don't feel um, like I, I've, I've, I've come to a place. None of those things. I feel, I shared this in the very beginning whenever I became the pastor of the church. I, I said this. I feel like a greater weight has been placed on me. I feel like it's a high responsibility and, 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 it, and it is a, uh, a very humbling thing. And I take it very seriously. I love the word of God. And I want the word of God to go out and I want it to affect me. I want it to affect y'all. I want it to affect us as a church because there's so much power in God's word. That's what Paul was saying. Pray that, that when we do this, that it goes ahead and it does this work. Listen to this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I exhort therefore that, first of all, supplications. What are supplications? They're, re they're requests or petitions. Requests and prayers, are, and, and that kind of has a connotation in, in, in worship and, and even praise, thanking, which is similar to what he says in just a couple, uh, couple other uh, definitions. But it says this, intercessions. What are intercessions? That's when you're intervening for somebody. God, somebody's going through this. God, I ask you to help them, uh, heal them, restore them. Bless their, you know, do, do this, inter intervene, intercession. God, they're going down the wrong road. God, please get their attention. Intercession. And giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. So prayer for those who are in authority, which includes your, your spiritual leaders. Of course, that's in other parts of Scripture as well, but this is what needs to be going on. That's Paul, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to Timothy, someone in the ministry. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, a very familiar Scripture. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. What does study mean? It means be diligent or give every, your very best effort. So give your very best effort, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. He's talking to Timothy, he's talking to a worker, he's talking to a laborer, talking to a preacher. Be diligent to show yourself approved to God, not to man, not even to yourself, but to God. Show yourself approved unto God. A workman doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, the lost and the saved, at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season. Be ready to do it when it's convenient, out of season. Be ready to do it when it's not convenient. When, when people want to hear, when people don't want to hear, when people like what you say, when people don't like what you say, but just keep preaching the word. Reprove. Show them 
this is wrong, but this is right. Rebuke. Hey, I've got to caution you. Hey, this is wrong. This is not good. Rebuke. You need to do this. Rebuke. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Which is difficult. He says, with all long-suffering and doctrine. And he explains why. This is why you need to keep doing it, even when it's popular, when it's not popular, when people want to hear, they don't want to hear. When, when, when it gets hard, keep doing it with all long-suffering. Keep exhorting people in the truth. Keep doing it. Why? Because there's, the days are coming when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're not going to hear the truth. They're not going to want to hear about commitment. They're not going to hear about sacrifice. They're not going to hear about taking up our cross daily. They're not going to hear about serving for the kingdom of God. They're not going to hear about all those things So you need to keep preaching sound doctrine. They're not going to do that. They're not going to to, to do that. But this is what they're going to do. Listen to what he says. After their own lust, after their own desires, after their own covetousness, they're they're going to seek out for themselves teachers, their own teachers, having itching ears. I, I want to hear what I want to hear. I, want to, I don't want to hear about this. And I don't want to hear about that. I want, to, I want to hear about this. And look what it says. They shall turn their ears away from the truth. And they shall be turned unto fables. But he says to Timothy, But you watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Be steadfast through all the difficult times. Be steadfast through all the, the, the trials. And all the, all the times that the people that you're preaching to don't want to hear. And they, they, they attack you. And they tear you down. And, and they don't show up. Keep, keep going through. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. Fulfill what you've been called to do. What, has, what we speak has power. The spoken word does. Right? That's why we, we tell our kids, that's not nice to say. Because we realize that words hurt. That words have power. The Bible says that. Death and life are in their power of the tongue. You can build somebody up or you can tear them down with your words. God's written has power. God's written word has power when it's spoken. If it's allowed to. If it's received. Which points to the second point we'll see in just a second. But James tells us about the power of the tongue in James chapter 3 verse 1 it says my brethren be not many masters um, as he goes on before he says this he says so, so here's the important thing everyone doesn't need to become a teacher that's what he says my brethren be not many masters knowing that we shall receive a greater condemnation different translation says it like this not many of you should become teachers brothers because you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. So those that stand behind a, a Sunday school podium, those who stand behind a pulpit and preach and teach the Word of God, there's going to be a stricter judgment. There's going to be a greater strictness in the judgment for those who have that responsibility. That's why Paul said, pray for us. Pray for us that the word of God, when we speak it, goes ahead of us. It speeds ahead of us and it does the work. Pray for, pray, pray for that, that when it does go out, the people that hear the word of God will receive it in, a, in, in the fullness of its power and it will be a, a effective in their life. 
pray for me. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the other preachers. That was Paul's charge to them. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm charging and, 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 and preaching tonight for, for you as a, as a church body. For all of us, we should be praying for those who are teaching and preaching the Word of God. But the question then is this. Are you? Are you praying for me? Are you praying for the preachers that stand in this pulpit? Are you praying for teachers who stand up and teach the Word of God? They say, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I have. Listen, the reality is this. If you're regularly praying for me, and I'm regularly praying for you, you must know that the enemy is going to have a lot less room to work with in his attacks against us. So if that's the reality, what, then it, it, what is the enemy's opportunity if you're not praying for me and I'm not faithfully praying for you? The door's wide open. The door's wide open. And, and, and I, would, I would suggest this, and I, I, I would probably say this. At any point in time, somebody gets sideways with the church or the pastor or, or something like that. Many times, you could probably point it back to the, the truth that they're not faithfully praying for their pastor, for their church, for their church members, fellow church members. And it's not just, well, I've prayed for you before, Brother Kyle. I, I've prayed for our church before. No, 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 no. The, the, the Greek tense here, the Greek structure here is that they would pray for Paul right now and they would continue to do that indefinitely. He says, pray for us. From this point, moving forward, that this would be what God's word does. He said the word of God spoken in the assembly has power. Think about it. Every time that Jesus got up, he's the word of God incarnate. Every time he got up and he spoke, it had power. The, the apostles on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and speaks God's word, the truth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It had power. Paul spoke the word of God. It had power. The, the word of God has power when it's spoken. But it has to be received as well. Not just heard, but received with ready hearts. That's, that was Jesus' illustration even about salvation, right? He said that there, the, 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 the seed falls on certain types of soil, and he explained that the seed was the Word of God. And he explained the different types of situations in the soil. And the only, only circumstance where the seed took root and became fruitful and healthy and lasted was the seed that fell on good soil. Ready soil. With no... no, no cares of the world distracting it and, 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 and squeezing it out. No, no, no shallow bedrock underneath it, uh, keeping it from taking root and scorching it when trials come. But a ready heart, a ready life. Completely open, receiving that seed. Sometimes, though, as his children, our hearts are not ready for the Word of God. And many times... It's because when we come to the Word of God, whether privately or corporately, we haven't prayed, God, ready my heart. God, your Word has power, 
and I need that power in my life. Let me hear from you in your word. How many people show up for church like that? You say, I do. Praise God. But I think on, on, on a large scale, the reality is I think most people kind of are living their lives and then we show up at the service time and, and, and we haven't prayed for the pastor, the preacher. We haven't prayed for our hearts and our minds and our lives that we'd be ready to receive the word of God. I think on most part, that's the reality in our world today. It's important that we prepare to receive the word of God. And lastly, as I said a while ago, we have to do what the Thessalonians did with the Word of God as it was preached to them, that Paul said, hey, this is what you've done. And that's number two, devote yourselves to esteeming God's Word above all other words. That last part of verse 1 said that the Word of God be glorified even as it is with you. So the Thessalonians had esteemed the Word of God. They had, they had held it in high esteem. They regarded it in their life. This is important. The Word of God is important. Paul is teaching and preaching us. He's writing and reminding us of these things that God has spoken through the Holy Spirit to him, and it's important. He had, they, they held this up, and Paul said, look, pray that the Word of God has, has full course. It can go at speed ahead of us and work, and that the, the people that hear it, the people that hear the Word of God that's preached to them, that they, just like you, would esteem God's Word above everything else, above every, every other voice, above every other word, including their own words. But what, is this, what would this kind of look like for us today? How, how would we devote ourselves to esteem the Word of God I think that we can do it in two different ways, primarily. Firstly, we can esteem the Word of God privately. In our own private devotion, in our own individual lives, we can esteem the Word of God in private devotion and worship. Look at the, the verses. Some of these are very familiar to you. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Did you hear that? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. There, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are two types of people in this world that, that can have an impact in our lives as the people of God, right? Here are the two types of people that can have the impact in our lives. Number one, people that urge you and push you and point you closer to Jesus Christ. The other, the other person is people who pull you and tear you and keep you from being closer to Jesus Christ. That's the reality. There are people that are in our lives that are saying, hey, be closer, be more devoted to Christ, be more devoted to his kingdom. Hey, seek first the kingdom of God. There's people, whether they're teachers or our, our fellow church members or, or a coworker who's a Christian or whatever, there's people in our life that are there. We may not be kept connected to them or we may not be, be, be heeding and walking with them, but they're there. And they point us and they push us and they say, hey, you know what, you should be faithful. Yeah, hey, you should, you should have, you, have you prayed about this? Hey, are you, are, 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 you, are, you, are, you, are you drawing close to God right now? There's people that are like that in our life or they're, they're available. And then there's people that are saying, why are you always going up there to that church? Why are you always talking about that stuff? I mean, do you not ever have any fun? I mean, there's people that, hey, we should go. Hey, this, there's people that pull us away. The, 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 the Bible says this, blessed is the man, happy, extremely blessed, happy is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of those who pull them away from God and the things of God. Doesn't sit in the way of sinners, doesn't go that same direction, is not in that, that vein, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The scornful, the people that tear down and, 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 and scoff and, and, and do those things, doesn't have, doesn't have an association with those people. 
The person who's extremely blessed, the person who's extremely happy is the person who doesn't hang around, doesn't seek counsel, doesn't hang out with, doesn't have a, a very uh, familiar uh, phrase years and years ago. Uh, when I first got into ministry, an evangelist was coming through our church and, and a very charismatic evangelist, but he said something that's stuck in our church and, and it was said for many times as a youth pastor, I used it over and over and over and over again. And I can't tell you how many times it's proven itself so true and it's this. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. That's the truth. That's, I mean, it's scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33, look at it. That's what it says. I mean, I'll do it now. You can write it down and look at it later. It says the, the, the man who's blessed is the person who doesn't walk in this council, doesn't, doesn't hang out with, 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 with the people like this in and, and, and the city of the scornful but look, who, who is the blessed man then? Who is the person that's extremely blessed and, and is extremely happy? Who is the person who ex experiences the blessed life? It's the person that delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He doesn't just read, just, okay, okay. I'm hearing the word of God. No, no, no. Who delights in the law. God, your word is, is everything I need. It's the direction. It's, it, it's everything. Look, and I love Psalms 119. I, I, started, I started years ago. I, I have, have since got so uh, overwhelmed with other, other things. But I started years ago uh, doing a daily devotion based off of uh, Psalms 119. Because Psalms 119 is, is amazing. And I think I got, I, I don't know, I, I've got 30 or 40 different daily devotions based off of Psalms, Psalms 119. One day, maybe the Lord will give me a, the, the opportunity to finish it. But again, it's all, the, the primary crux of it all is the law of God, the word of God. And, and, and so I, I love this. Look at Psalms 119.97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalms 119.103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your words, God. Very familiar. Psalms 119.105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's everything I need. Your, your law is, is, is everything. So privately, privately esteeming the word of God. God, your word is everything I need. It's my life. It's my lamp. It's my light. It's, it's, it's everything. I meditate on Think about it. It's my direction. It's my help. It's my, it's my comfort. And all these things, your word, I love it, God. I love your word. I meditate about it. It helps me through the hard times. It helps me to, to remember, even in the great times, how good you are and, and, and that the blessings are coming from you, your law, your word, privately but also publicly esteeming the word of God, just like our Savior, who was the incarnate word, did while he was here in the assembly of the saints. So we discount, again, in our 2018 church culture, we discount the, because people make it about a, a, a checkmark, people make it a, a, about a, a legalistic approach, and it's not. It's about the connectivity and the importance in the kingdom of God and the things of God be important, which includes assembly of the saints focused on the word of God. That's, the, that's the, the main thing. Focused on the word of God corporately. That's what Jesus did. You say, I, I, yeah, look, look at this. John chapter 6, verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, um, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. These people were following Jesus, and Jesus had just said something. And they said, look, this is hard to, to, to swallow. It's hard to understand. It's hard to get. Who can hear it? Who, 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 can, who can take this, this teaching, this saying? And when Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured at it, imagine that. They said, look, 
my comfort comes from my Savior as, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a Christian. And so, like, when I, when I look, when I think about leadership, when I think about church, when I think about preaching and people murmuring or anything like that, you know what I do? I look to Jesus, and I say, what did he deal with? Like, he's, he's my example. He's my leader. So, if Jesus had people murmuring at what he said, I'm okay with people murmuring at what I say. That's just it. He said to them, does this offend you? You got a problem with this? You got a problem with what I just taught you? You got a problem with what I just said? Really? Not that he was surprised. Because it's going to say that in just a second. It says, so what if you see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? Well, what, what would you do if you saw before your eyes the Son of Man go up to heaven? It's the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The Spirit makes you alive. The Holy Spirit does not. The flesh, the flesh doesn't do anything. Look what he says. The words that I speak to you, they're spirit. They're the living force. They're breath. And they're life. But there's some of you that believe not. Because Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. And who would even betray him. And he said, therefore, said I unto you that no man can come unto me except to the Father, uh, except it were given unto him of my Father. And listen to what happens in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back. Went back where? Went back to the life that they had before Jesus Christ, before following him. Look what happens in 67. Then Jesus said unto the 12, he looks, looks now at the apostles and he says, are you guys going to go back too? Jesus knew, but it was a challenge to their faith and their following of him. Look, everybody else has left. I just taught something that was really hard. I just taught something about commitment. I just taught something about being all in for me and the kingdom. And people didn't like it. It didn't suit their flesh. It didn't suit what they wanted in this life. And so everybody else but you guys have left to go back to their old lives. You going to go too? Look what happens. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, who are we going to go to? Who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. You're the one. You're the source. Who else compares to that? Where else would we go? What other life would we go back to? I mean, you've given us eternal life. We're on this path of eternal life, serving you in your kingdom. Where else would we go? Who else would we go to? Who else would we serve that could ever compare to you? Now, Peter, we know, might not have gotten everything at this point in time because what happens to Peter? The, 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 the time goes on. He cuts off somebody's ear. He says, no, you're not going to die for me. He, 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 he denies Christ when, when Christ is being uh, you know, falsely accused and, and, and taken to prison. But at least he got this point, right? At least he understood. Because, right, the, the whole crux of, of, of uh, the, the last study we did on Sunday mornings was, uh, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Peter, Peter got it. He just didn't get it all. But he got it. Who would we go back to? Back to the world? Would we go back to serving ourselves? Would we go back to living for money? Would we go back to living for, 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 for someone else? How could we do that after we've encountered you? When you have the words of eternal life. What was the hard saying? I said he was preaching about being all in. What exactly did Jesus teach that the people said, who can hear, the, who can receive this type of message? I mean, who's going to, this is crazy talk. 
What was the message? Look in verse 47 of John chapter 6. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers that eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. It was physical bread. They, they, they ate that bread, and it didn't give them eternal life. But I am the bread of life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. That a man may eat thereof and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. Now, get the saying, right? He's telling them this. There's manna, physical, like, you know, seeds and, and stuff that makes into, into, into bread and stuff like that. It, it, it was tangible. They ate it, and they died. And Jesus said, but I'm the living bread. I, I, I came down from heaven, and, and, and if somebody eats this living bread that comes from heaven, they'll never die. So the wheels are turning. Whoa, wait. They ate in their stomach this, and now you're telling us to eat the living bread? That means we've got to eat you. And he goes on to say that. Look, look what he says. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? We're not going to be uh, cannibals. That's against the law. We're not going to eat. That, that's, that, there's no way. And Jesus said unto, him, verily, unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Because whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I dwell in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fat fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And look at what verse 59 says. As I said before, privately we've got to esteem the word of God, but also publicly. Look what verse 59 says. These things said he, where? In the synagogue. In the assembly. Corporately. Where, the, where, the, where, where they were gathered as they taught in Capernaum. So what does this mean? We know Jesus wasn't saying, like, when, I get, when I'm crucified, find a piece of my flesh that you can nibble on and eat it. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying when it starts pouring out, get you a cup. You know, he, he wasn't saying that. He was saying this, unless Jesus, the Word of God incarnate, is in every way our sustenance. Unless he is in every way our sustaining all, we don't have any part with him. And we don't have eternal life. Like unless he is, unless we consume him and are consumed of him, we don't have any part with him. What he was saying, unless it's, it's, it's either all or it's nothing. It's either all me or it's nothing. I've got to be your everything. You've got to have all of me. I, it's a complete surrender. It's a complete all in. I said, you know, the preaching of, uh, of churches like ours who, who preach the whole word of God and things like this and talk about this full commitment, this all in, this, this not, not, not um, um, compromising in any way. Let's, let's, let's all be together. Let's be faithful and committed and connected. People complain and criticize and don't like that. It's too much. 
But you know what? You know why we do it? Because we believe Jesus' words. We believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that there's no other, other way to, to, to follow him. There's no other way to engage him in his kingdom. There's no other way to serve him. There's no other way to bring glory to him and his name and his kingdom other than, in his own words, being all in. Can you be more all in than being called to consume his flesh and his blood? No. I mean, this is, this is talking about you are my substance. You are everything that sustains me. You are my life. You are my breath. You are everything. I cannot, I have nothing without you, Jesus. Can you get more all in than being called to take up your cross daily and follow him? No. That sacrifice, that daily sacrifice to follow so when we are all in, we have absolute faith and vice versa. When we have absolute faith, we are all in. And when we get there, that's when we can esteem the word of God as it should be esteemed. Versus, as I close, taking the little bits and pieces that we want and discarding the ones we don't. I know that we preach, I know this is taught, I know that you, know, you say this, but that's your, no, 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 no. Take the word of God. Don't, don't, don't use the excuse, well, that's what Brother, you know, Brother Jeffrey preached. That's what Brother Kyle said. No, 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 no. What does the Word of God say? Let's go by that. And so many people say, I don't think I have to. No, okay, if you don't think that, either you're, you're, you're following Jesus or you're not. Did Jesus say that? Well, no. Okay, then you're following yourself. You're not, you're not, you're not following Christ. This type of faith, though, this perspective is the one that brings joy. It's the one that produces fruit. It's the one that gives us peace, even through the hardest of times. It's this kind of faith. As I ask the first point, I want to ask on this point. Are we esteeming the Word of God privately in our own time? And are we esteeming it publicly? Is this our life? I, I pray we get it. As the musicians come, I, I, pray, that, I pray we get it. Um, just as Peter did. And if we do, just as he said, you have the words of eternal life. Who else are we going to follow? What else are we going to obey? Where else are we going to turn to? You are the source. And so now I, I hope that we, I know this was a challenge to me. Um, is I have a prayer list and I pray through our, our leadership and our teachers and preachers and our church. Um, but it's still a challenge to, to pray deeper, pray more passionately for you, for our leadership, for our, our teachers. And it's also a challenge to make sure I'm fully esteeming the word of God the way I'm supposed to every day. Then it, it is the most important word that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. And again, this, this just one verse that uh, you inspired Paul to write to the Thessalonians, Lord, so much uh, just in that. Lord, just the request to pray uh, that your word would have full course, free course, Lord, that it would speed ahead uh, and do what it's uh, intended to do. Um, 
Lord, that not only that, that the word of God would be held in such high regard, especially among us, your people. Lord, help us esteem it daily in our individual lives and also when we gather together like tonight in a corporate setting. But thank you for our salvation. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us these opportunities. Thank you for the freedom you've given us. You're so good to us, Lord. And I pray that we would seek your face even more, that we would draw nigh to you even, even, even greater, or that we would cling closely together as a body and experience all the help and strength that you can offer because of that, Lord. We ask you to move now in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.